Good morning, welcome to Wyatt. This morning we start a, a new series, our summer series, last about seven or eight weeks, uh, and what we're going to be talking about is idols of the heart. Uh, we'll start out uh, in Romans chapter 1, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Uh, back in around 2009, 2010, I can't remember which, um, my roles here at the church were, were, were kind of changing from youth pastor to associate pastor at that time, and uh, and one of the things we understood that uh, that maybe somebody on staff would need to do, uh, and that is biblical counseling. And so Crystal and I, uh, we we went to six weekends of training in Houston, uh, which was to be my uh, initial first step in making my way towards certification through the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors to get that certification. And it was a transformative time. Uh, for Crystal and I, just an amazing time for us, for our marriage, for our spiritual growth. We went there uh, to try to come back and help people. Um, and what we found was initially, and first and foremost, we were helping ourselves as we really began uh, to see how so much of the problems that we had in our life, so much of the sin that we had in our life, was just so practically described in the Bible in ways that I had never understood. Even though I had a master's degree from seminary and a, and a bachelor's degree from Bible, I just began to understand just how practical the Bible is and how it speaks to our everyday issues. So it was just a great time of going, of hearing this instruction, of, of driving back from Houston without uh, kids. People were keeping our kids, and so we got to... Uh, just talk about those things. And possibly the subject that helped us the most in our lives from that time and continues to help us is uh, us broadening, broadening our understanding of idolatry. More specifically, how idols come into our heart and take root there. And we begin to see that this issue touched every other issue in our lives. It it seemed like no matter what the issue was, we were always circling back to this paradigm of this is an idol in my heart. It needs to go. God is not as supreme as He needs to be. Other things are coming in. I need to make God supreme. I need to remove some of these things that I've made idols in my heart. It just seems like life was always coming back to that. And we, um, we spoke about this a lot to our kids. Maybe too much because... Uh, Gabe, um, when he was probably five, I don't know when you start losing your teeth, but uh, your baby teeth, but it was his, the first one, the first one we had dealt with. And, you know, at the time, this was the first one, right? Uh, this, this, this loose tooth was concerning to us. What if he swallows it or something? I mean, after four, now we're like, it'll come out when it comes out. If not, there's pliers in the shop. You can go out there and get them and pull them out. But we talked, we, we just kept obsessing, Gabe, you need to pull this teeth out. You need to, you need to, you know, you need to take care of this, this tooth. And uh, finally, one day, Gabe just says, Mom and Dad, you're making my tooth an idol. So when you speak enough of a theological subject that your five-year-old is turning it back on you, uh, you know that you speak a lot of it. It's helpful. It, it's been good for us as a family to this day. Idolatry for us in our time has little to do with carved images that we put on the mantle and bow to. Idolatry is, is why we fight with our spouses. It's 
why our relationships disintegrate. It's why we overeat. It's why there is an epidemic of pornography in our world. It is why we're all in debt. Or not all, but many of us are in debt. It is why many of us are ineffective for ministry. It is why we get filled with pride at our self-righteousness. Virtually every issue we have comes back to misplaced worship. And so this morning, if you will allow me to be a little more topical than usual, uh, I would like for us to have a primer on idolatry, kind of preparing ourselves for uh, this series and just an over uh, looking at an overarching theme of idolatry in the scriptures and why. Why a series on idolatry? Why will this series be good for our souls? The first thing I want us to look at is what is idolatry? We need to define it. What, what is it? Uh, a couple of examples of, of uh, some, some uh, great Christians that have written on this subject. Brad Bigney uh, defines it like this. An idol is anything or anyone that captures our hearts, minds, and affections more than God. Okay, did you get that? An idol is anything uh, or anyone that captures our hearts, minds, or affections more than God. Elise Fitzpatrick says this, Idols aren't just stone statues. No, idols are thoughts, desires, longing, and expectations that we worship in the place of the true God. Idols cause us to ignore the true God in search of what we think we need. I think uh, one of the clearest definitions of uh, idolatry found in the Scriptures is Romans 1. It's talking about a deep darkness in the heart of man. It says in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, Because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity through the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creatures rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, This is probably one of the most darkest, just describing the depths of how deep in darkness the human soul can go. go. A Christian should never have this depth of idolatry in their life, but yet I think this text defines for us, simply put, it's it's knowing God, it's seeing who He is, and who He's revealed Himself to be, and saying, no thank you God, I, I like the stuff you've made. I like the people you've put in my life. I like uh, the technology you've given me. I like, uh, I like all these other fleshly things. I'm going to 
go after these things and not the Holy God. Exchanging knowing God and having God in the center of your life to turning to the things that He's made. There's so much less than Him and turning to those things for, for satisfaction. Idolatry in the Old Testament uh, is um, not hard to find. It's everywhere in the Old Testament. Uh, it feel, the act of idolatry fills it. Uh, we see time and time again God's great displeasure at His people for turning away from Him to false gods. On Mount Sinai, when God gave the Ten Commandments that would govern the life of His people Israel, the first two commands are commands about idolatry. Look at verse uh, in, in Exodus 20, verse 3 and 4. It says, You shall have, number one commandment, you shall have no other gods before Me. That is a command forbidding idolatry. Don't put any other gods before Me. And then the second commandment, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate Me. By showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love Me and keep My commandments. It's the first two, right? I mean, we cannot deny the importance uh, that God places on having Him number one and nothing else before Him. It is what the first Ten Commandments, the first two, are occupied by. It's what He's concerned with first and foremost in the Ten Commandments. This is where you've got to start. You can't have anything above Me and you can't make false images of Me. And, and the, the, the catch, the, the, the horrible thing is that even as He's given these commands, what's happening with His people? His people are going to, uh, to Aaron and saying, Aaron, Moses is gone. He's gone up in the mountain. God's probably killed him. We need another God. Can you, why don't you build us a, a calf, a golden calf, right? I mean, how wicked can the human heart be that after God bringing ten plagues upon, upon Egypt, of leading you out of that place, of, of opening up a sea so that you could walk across it, then covering up your enemies that are chasing you with that sea, and then to, to feed you with, with manna from heaven. And, and, and you're like, man, God is amazing. And then after a few days, you're like, ah, let's go with the golden calf. I mean, that is the human heart. That is why we must be on guard because we're no different than the people of Israel that in one moment, God is supreme. He's everything. And then just a few days left to ourselves, we're thinking, oh, maybe this is better. And God's people in the Old Testament continue to constantly forget Him. Even after they fully established with their own temple 
and, 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 a, and a place to worship and a means and a way to worship, even after all that is established, we see time and time through the historical books of the Old Testament, we see what's called the high places. If you read about the high places, this is where people would go to either worship, say they're worshiping God and doing it wrongly or just going to worship other gods, the high places, the, the, the false uh, altars and things. And Israel had a real problem with that. In fact, if you read about uh, the kings of Israel, you will see that, that God kind of very often decides what is a good king and what is a bad king by talking about what they do with the high places. If they're a good king, he, he talks about how they, they ransack the high places. They tear down all the false uh, altar, uh, uh, altars that are up there. The false place, uh, places of worship. And if they're a bad king, they build false places of worship or they tolerate the false worship that's going on in the high places. It's just a constant, constant struggle that God's people had with turning from Him to false gods. Let's look at idolatry in the New Testament. At first glance, the New Testament may look a little light on idolatry. Um, in the New Testament, the word idol, you'll find it mostly associated with a controversy in Acts and the early church about food sacrifice to idols. Um, some people thought, man, we cannot eat that meat because it was used in, in false worship to false gods, and so we can't eat that meat. Others were like, you know, there is no such thing as those false gods, so a steak is a steak. And so there was this controversy, and they talked about it a lot, and that's, that's the most common a time we see this phrase idolatry or idols brought up in the in the New Testament. There are some exceptions. First Peter four three, uh, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking party, and lawless idolatry. We see at the very end of, of one of the my favorite books of the Bible, John First uh, John. Uh, the very last, um, the, the last uh, uh, verse of scripture in that book is, "Little children, keep yourself from idols." Colossians three five says this: "Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you: sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry." What about the Ten Commandments? Jesus was asked, which commandment is the most important in the New Testament, in the Gospels, right? He, they came and said, what's the most important commandment? And he summarized it into two, and the first and foremost being this, you shall love the Lord your God with your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the command to keep your heart from idols is the positive side of it, right? That if we are loving the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, we will have no room in our heart for idols because it is occupied fully by our love for God. The New Testament does not come to us speaking of idolatry in terms of wooden and golden figures. It doesn't come to us talking of the high places that the Old Testament talked about of false worship. 
it comes to us speaking of idolatry much more closer in terms of, of what we know and what we experience in idolatry. And that is the desires of our heart that unseat God from the throne of our lives. It is a heart that is divided. This is the language of idolatry in the New Testament. We just looked at Colossians 3.5 and, and it says, uh, let me read it one more time. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is a desire in the heart that, that approaches a sinful level. It's a desire that just that drives us to do things that we shouldn't do. It drives us to anger, uh, desires us to go about things in a sinful way because we want something so bad. Think the word greed or lust is, is a similar word. And the word covetousness, covetousness is equated here with idolatry. It says it's the same thing. Covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, Donnie stole my quote because he's on Facebook now and he sees the same stuff I do. But J.D. Greer, I want to read it again. When something becomes so important to you that it drives your behavior and commands your emotions, you are worshiping it. Idols defined by the New Testament are this. They are desires that are in overdrive. Desires that tell us that I want that so bad that I'll sin in order to get it. Or I want that so bad that if I don't get it, I'll make everyone around me miserable. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 5.9. It says, he says, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. The aim of every Christian should be to live a life pleasing to God. Anything that gets in the way of pleasing God it's an idol. At any moment, and this is why idolatry is a daily thing, any moment where we're faced with a choice of pleasing God or pleasing ourselves, and we choose anything other than pleasing God, we've chosen in that moment idolatry. Here's what A.W. Tozer said, in every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne. And the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. Perhaps this is at the bottom of the backsliding of worldliness among gospel believers today. We want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. No cross for us. No dethronement. No dying. We Remain king. And idolatry is us wanting to stay king. Us wanting what we want, not what God wants out of our life. We'll unpack that in the coming weeks. So why a series on idolatry? Why is this important? Well, first of all, because idolatry betrays the central command of God, as we've kind of 
already looked at the importance as the first two commandments of the ten. Idolatry should be important to us because it's important to God. He is the creature and we are His created and He deserves all of our worship. Like it or not, God does not share His glory. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. And rightly so, because He's worthy of every bit of our worship. Idolatry is a dangerous thing. After the golden calf, there were three thousand Israelites that were executed because they would not back down from their idolatry. Many people despise the fact that God would order His people to kill all, all the Canaanites in the land that, that He was given to His people. And agree with it or not, the reason that God wanted those people cleared out is clear. He tells us in Deuteronomy 7.4, For they would turn away your sons from following Me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and, we, uh, and He would destroy you quickly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash it in pieces and their pillars and chop down their eshurim and burn their carved images with fire. God hates idolatry so much that He would tell the Israelites, you go in and you clear them all out. Without exception. God doesn't play with idolatry, and neither should we. But it's not just a dangerous thing to indulge in idolatry. It is a beautiful thing to avoid it. It's a glorious thing. Not only is it a dangerous thing, idolatry a dangerous thing, when we guard our hearts from idols, we find deep joy. Joy that can only be found in, in living our true purpose. Joy that can only be found with the One, the person of Christ, at the center of our hearts, the one thing that truly, truly satisfies. Because idolatry, uh, the, the second reason is because idolatry gets to the heart of our identity. Our identity is in the person, or should be, our identity is, is, it should be in the person of work and work of Jesus Christ. Our identity is wrapped up in a person. He is to be our one and our only Savior. There are many things that are part of our lives. Our circle of friends, our marriage, our political affiliation, our kids, food, what we wear, our college sports teams, our hobbies. There are many things that make us who we are. These are the things that, that tend to be important. They demand our time and our passions. And they all have the potential to be idols. And therefore, they have the ability to become our identity. An idol is anything that becomes a functional Savior at that moment. Whatever our functional Savior is becomes our identity. Why do you run to the TV when you do? Why do you pick up your iPhone 
and scroll through Facebook for way too much time when you do, when I do. Why do you run to the fridge when you do? Why do you care so deeply about what 19-year-olds do with a ball? It could be at that given moment that you're trusting in that thing to be your Savior, and therefore in that moment, your heart's not given over to Christ, and therefore your identity in that moment, you're not living out your identity as a Christian that belongs to Christ. Third, we, we want this series, we need this series because idolatry is the root of all sin. Show me any sin in your life and, and I and the Bible can trace it back to the problem of idolatry. In that moment when you go into an unrighteous, angry tirade towards someone, I can guarantee you that that's happening because that person has threatened what is an idol in your life. When you click on that lust-filled webpage, in that moment, you are bowing at the altar of self-gratification and pleasing God has been cast aside. Idolatry. That person that gives their heart over to addiction has taken that substance or activity and placed it before family and spouse and friends and especially God. It's an act of idolatry. Any act of sin is first and foremost an act of idolatry. To turn towards sin, we must first turn away from God in an act of heart idolatry. Fourthly, we, we need this series because understanding idolatry helps us apply the Scripture in a, uh, more effectively. David Pallison, who's a, a huge counseling guru in our day, just a great man who, who loves the Word of God. He said this, idolatry is by far the most frequently discussed problem in the Scriptures. The relevance of massive chunks of Scripture hangs on our understanding of idolatry. When we begin to understand our idolatry problem and how idols come into the heart and lay siege, we see with fresh eyes, with fresh eyes, how to better apply those scriptures to our hearts. Someone might be tempted to think the Bible, it doesn't have much to say about addiction. Or people may say that it's an ancient book, but we have modern problems. But what we realize is that our modern problems are just new forms of idolatry that we've picked up. When we begin to realize that our modern problems are just old idolatry, we realize that the Scriptures are full of verses that help us, that, that, that we can apply to our lives in the fight of those idols. Fifth, we need this series because understanding idolatry gives us a humble introspection that is good for our souls. What do I mean by that? To, to simply focus on sins uh, 
as the things that we do is it's too it's, it's too simplistic. If I just stop doing this action, I'll be good. If I can just stop this, if I can stop doing that sin, then I'll be holy. Then I'll be great. But to really examine our lives in the realm of idolatry goes much deeper than that. It is not just about starting or stopping an activity. It's about why is my heart drawn to that activity? What is it about my relationship with God that is lacking, that is causing me to keep turning to this sinful activity? And here's the real kicker. The real kicker is this, is that it does not even have to be a sinful activity to be an idol. The holy roller can make outward religious activity an idol just as much as the drunkard can make an idol out of the bottle. While the drug addict can be pulled away from Christ with meth, the religious person can be pulled away from Christ through a sense of self-righteousness, uh, self-righteous pride if they have never used drugs. When we see with Calvin that the human heart is a factory for idols, it will humble us and it will keep our eyes trained on our own hearts. It will help us be diligent in knowing that anything in our life, good or bad, that isn't God, has the potential to steal our worship from God. We will often find that following our hearts is actually a very, very bad idea. And lastly, and and it didn't make it on PowerPoint, but six, we need this series because confronting idolatry helps us to become secure servants of Christ. As long as idols rule our heart, we will never be secure enough to be servants of God. The fact is that an idol will never make us feel secure. No matter what we give our hearts to, if it is not the true God, it will let us down and send us on a deeper chase towards that idol or we'll get rid of that idol and just find a new one. But it will never fulfill us. It will never make us secure. Idolatry will always make us self-centered people looking for Savior after Savior after Savior. And when we're doing that, when we're trying to find fulfillment everywhere, we'll never, we're always got our eyes inward. And we never think about how can I love others? Or how can I make disciples of others for Christ? Rick Warren said this, and I think he's right. Only secure people can serve. Insecure people are always worrying about how they appear to others. They fear exposure of their weakness and hide beneath layers of protected pride and pretensions. The more insecure you are, the more you will want people to serve you, and the more you will need their approval. We'll never be interested in making disciples of Christ until Christ is at the center 
of our throne and the idols are gone. But I want to be very careful as we close. I want to go to the gospel and look at the gospel and idolatry. The first thing I want us to know is that Christ died for our idolatry. The deeper we get into a study like this, and, and what this story, study is, should do for all of us is, is to help us to realize I've got a problem. And I think the more you understand idolatry, the more you realize I've got a problem. I've got some changes I need to make in my life because I have some idols in my heart or I have some idols that are working their way at the center, to the center of my heart and I need to do something. The more we, we kind of come to grips with the sin in our life, the more we, we tend to think, well, that's what needs to change about me. And if that changes about me, then God will really, really love me. God will really, really, really be pleased with me. But we must. And it's of the most importance that we must remember that our approval before God is based upon the finished work of Christ alone. You have, if you have been saved and justified through Christ, realize something that at the end of this seven or eight weeks, if you've laid waste to all the idols in your life, and God has been firmly planted at the center of your heart's desires, I want you to know something, that He will not love you or accept you anymore in that moment than He does right now when you're beginning to see, I've got a lot of idols. Because your approval before God and His love for you is based upon Christ and His work. And so that's my only fear of covering a subject that I believe needs to be covered is that we'll be caught up in the fact that I've got to fix these idols so that God will like me more. And that's hogwash. We seek to confront idols and put Christ at the center of our hearts. Not to be loved more by Him, but because He has loved us with such an amazing love already. We should desire a heart undivided and entirely committed to Christ out of gratitude. But even more than that, we, we do it because God satisfies our heart when no idol can. We do it for joy. Because we know, we've tasted in the Gospel that, that He who gave His Son, how will He not give us all things and so fighting idolatry is not just another way for you as a christian for get, get god to like you it's just not how it works it's not how the gospel works do it out of gratitude and love for him and realizing that this is what will truly satisfy your soul And secondly, we need to realize that idolatry moves in when the gospel moves out. The whole reason that idolatry is ever an issue of any of us is because of our tendency to forget the gospel. 
The good news is that Christ came and died in our place so that we might have life. That despite my sin, despite my idolatry, and deserve, being deserving of hell, I am loved by the Holy God and I've been given an inheritance in Christ. The Gospel properly understood and, the proper, and properly applied always satisfies. So realize that as you begin to examine idols, as you begin to examine your own heart, I want you to realize that you will only be successful when you first and foremost look to Christ, not your idols. Focus more on Christ and what He's done for you and let your heart be filled with the glory of the Gospel. And then you will begin to, as you see the idols and as you begin to apply God's grace, the, the grace He's given us in Christ to fight sin, you begin to, to be able to push those idols out of your heart. I just want to be careful, and we'll, re we'll review this type of thing every week as we go through this, that it's for, first and foremost about the Gospel. Fighting idols is not just about the idol, it's about what Christ has done for you on the cross. I'm going to ask uh, you to please stand as our musicians come. And maybe you're here and you are in a Romans 1 situation that, I mean, you're just wrapped up in idolatry and you've tried everything and you're still miserable. because they're idols they're not the true god and so i would encourage you to turn to the true god and and to believe in what christ did for you on the cross that that i just talked about and i'm down here i'd love to talk to you about that but christians i would just ask that you would just ask god to begin to prepare your heart for this series that he would begin to open up your heart and let you see the idols that are there the idols that need to be confronted and most of all, just to see how, how big is God in your heart. And just begin to ask God to do a work uh, today and in the coming Sundays. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you first and foremost that you died for my idolatry. that every day there's an assault on my heart and, and sometimes I win and sometimes you win. And God, I just, I thank you that, that the hope of my life is not in me being good enough at killing idols. The hope of my life is Christ and what he's done. God, just move in our hearts in the coming weeks. God, I think this can be an amazing transformative time for our church as it was for Crystal and I as we learned these things. And God, I just pray that you would open our hearts and minds to what you want to say to us today and in Sundays to come. God, move in this church, set our hearts on fire, that you might be the blazing center of our hearts. 
with no room for anything else. God, I pray if there's anyone here that you would move in them if they don't know you, if they're still fully and totally trusting in other things, God, I pray that they would turn to you before it is too late. God, move in their hearts as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.